0: I'd like for you to turn to the book of Habakkuk one more time, and I'm going to be reading in the second chapter of the book of Habakkuk. Second chapter, verse 1. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me, and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not not come. Behold, as for the proud one, His soul is not right within him, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Now I want you to notice um, verse 4 from two other translations, the King James and the NIV. King James has it, Behold, his soul is puffed up. And the NIV, See, he is puffed up. When my son was a sophomore in high school, he started a balloon business, now owned and operated by his, da- his uh, daughter, <laughs> by his sister. He'll be glad to know he has a child, <laughs> by his sister. And, and on occasions uh, like uh, Valentine's, we're all pressed into duty. Uh, it's, you know, blowing up balloons is not as easy and simple as it looks because you never know when they're going to pop. That's a nerve-shattering experience, believe me, when those things burst with, you know, in your hand. Sometimes I think that maybe my neighbors think I'm beating my wife over there, because you know, these blood-curdling screams go up you know, when one of those things explodes. My, my stance when I'm you know, inflating one with helium is kind of like this, because you, know, you know that if you keep puffing air into them, Sooner or later, you don't know when, but they're going to explode. It's what God said about the unrighteous. As a matter of fact, there are two kinds of of life in this uh, text I read, Two, two ways of looking at life, really, two philosophies of life. There is this lifestyle that he describes as one whose soul is puffed up within him is the lifestyle of arrogancy and pride and, and self-centeredness. And he's boastful and arrogant and independent and self-righteous, and he's puffed up and, and, and inflated. Really, what he's, who he's talking about here are the Chaldeans. Now, God has already told Habakkuk that he's going to raise up these vicious, vile, wicked people to punish his own people. And Habakkuk has a problem with that. How can God use these uh, uh, vile and heathen, vicious, brutish people, you know, and to punish his own people? He's got a big time problem with it. And God says to Habakkuk, said, no, don't, not to fear, not to worry, because what is happening, Is that victory after victory, plunder after plunder, violence after violence is just causing these Chaldeans to to swell and to be prideful and boastful and sooner or later he's saying they're going to self-destruct. So there are two kinds of life, two ways of looking at life. There is this self-centered, egocentric existence where a man swells up with pride and has no need for God, and he's independent. And on the other hand, he said, they are the righteous who live by faith. Two ways of looking at life, self-centered existence that has in it the seeds of destruction, and this life that's lived in faith relying upon God. And really that's what the book of Habakkuk is about. And it's the question that's raised in this book and answer is how can one find a faith to live by? It's man's quest for certainty. It's man's search for a foundation on which to build a certainty, a faith that continues. And the notable thing about the book of Habakkuk is that it begins with a complaint and it ends with a commendation. It begins with a man pouring out his self-pity in complaining to God in the slow of despond, and it ends with a man on a mountaintop praising God so that something happens between the introduction and the benediction whereby this man finds a faith on which to rely. Something happens between the first sentence and the last sentence that enables this man to find a certainty for life, a faith on which to build his life. And that's what we have been about. We're just kind of retracing the steps of Habakkuk to try to find out what happened to this man that caused him to find this faith that we all desire to have. And we said last Sunday that the first step was that you face the fact that you have a problem with God. Now, his problem with God was twofold, was a threefold problem, really. It was the problem of an unexplained indifference and an unexpected response and an unhurried pace. We come to the second step today, finding this faith on which to rely. It's this, that you have to get to a position where you can hear from God. And it seems that all of a sudden, Habakkuk just comes to realize who he is, what he's doing and where he is. He's complaining to God. I mean, here's a man a griping to the Creator, and it just kind of stops him in his tracks when he realizes that, and you can almost hear the wheels of his mind turning like this, who am I to complain against God? I've got to find me a position, a place where I can hear from God, and that's the second step. Now, there are three words I want you to circle. To get your pen out, or your pencil. I want you to circle three words in this text. Because in getting to a position where we can hear from God, there are three factors that are involved. And and, and, and if I'm a person, you know, I think most of us are in quest of certainty for life, I'd be getting this down. And if you don't want to write the notes down, you know, write something, and write the recipe for something. It makes me feel better to, you know, see you working at it. The the first word is, is the word watch found in verse one, circle at. Second word is the word Ricard. Now, if you've got a New American Standard, it's the word Ricard. Circle that word and put out to the side of it, write, W-R-I-T-E, because that fits better my alliteration here. So we got watch and we got what write. And then in verse three, we got the word wait. Watch. Habakkuk said, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart and will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. Now, I don't think that Habakkuk is talking about a literal tower into which he goes so that he can hear from God. That's not what he's talking about. He's using this figure to describe an inner attitude, an inner submission. What he's saying is this. I'm going to get above these petty complaints of mine. I'm going to get above these doubtings, these petty hurts, these petty questionings. I'm going to get above them because I know that until I get above them, I'm never going to hear from God. And there is an inner attitude or an inner submission in which he says, I'm going to get above all of these complaints so that I can get into a position to hear from him, for God to speak to me. Now, the best translation is not for God to speak to me. Did you know this is probably going to surprise you, but God very seldom ever spoke audibly to anybody. Now, I think we get that impression when we read the Old Testament, uh, uh, for certain, that, that God spoke audibly to people. Very seldom, very rarely did God ever speak audibly to anybody. What He did was not that He spoke to them, it was that He spoke in them. And the best translation is this, I'm going to get above all of these petty complaints so that God can speak in me. You know, the average Christian does not trust his ability to hear from God. Now, now listen to me carefully. I believe that one of our greatest needs is the, is the ability, is the confidence to believe and our ability to hear from God. That's why we're always going to to people and asking them what we should do is because we don't trust our ability to know God's will. Now, I'm not deprecating going to somebody to seek their counsel. I believe in that. But I want you to know that God can speak and will speak to you just as easily as He can speak to anybody else. And the reason why we're always going to somebody asking them what we should do is because we don't trust our ability to know the will of God. One of our greatest needs, I think, is, is what I call spiritual intuition. It is just the ability to believe that I could hear from God just as well as anybody else. Peter Lord talks about this a lot and writes about it. You remember him telling about the time they went, he and some guys, they, well, they had this reception, wedding reception in the backyard of this rich people's house. and They were out in this backyard, he said this guy was, uh, was, was out there talking, and all of a sudden he said, listen to that, did you hear that cricket? And, and they said, you know, I ain't gonna hear the cricket. He said, that's a certain kind of cricket. He said, there are 18 classifications of crickets. Now, I know y'all are really interested in that. Probably most of you knew that already. He said now, and he said, while we were talking, he said, listen to that. He said, that's a different kind of cricket. And he said that the, the, the way you can tell the difference in the crickets is the sound they make. He said, if you listen carefully, you can, you can hear the difference now. now. 18 different kinds of crickets, something I've always wanted to know. And he said, I got to thinking, what, you know, why did that man you know, hear those crickets and we didn't and know this difference? Because he said, the guy was an entomologist. He has a degree in entomology, a PhD, and, and crickets are vital to his life's goal and the achievement of it. Now what Habakkuk has come to in his life here is that hearing from God is vital to his life goal. And so he gets above his complaints and his fears and his questionings and he gets into a position so that God can speak to him and he trusts his ability to hear from him. Watch, the second word is right. Now, there's so many ways to, to interpret verse uh, 2 there. Some say that, that God told Habakkuk to, to write this message on a billboard so everybody could see it. Some say that what he's saying here is that, that when God gives the message, uh, it motivates us, it causes us to run and share that message with somebody else. Uh, some, some have said that no, all the way he's, what he's saying here is this, that. That when God makes his will known and when he speaks to you, when when he gets ready to tell you what he wants you to know, it'll be so clear that you can read it while you're running. I mean, it's without question. Now, when I run into something that when there are two or three different ways to interpret it, and I don't know which one's right. the questionings and the complainings and the hurt, and you're going to trust your spiritual intuition to hear from God. When He speaks to you, it's going to be abundantly clear. Now, if you're trying to make a decision today, maybe it's just an everyday decision, not just a choice of a vocation, and you don't know what to do, what should you do? Nothing. Maybe some of you today have come to a crossroads in your life where. Well, you feel like that maybe I ought to go to the left. I was talking to a guy this week who is really dealing with, he's at a crossroad in his life as to what he's supposed to do in his vocation, and and, he don't know which way to go. Sometimes he thinks he ought to go to the left. Sometimes he thinks he ought to go to the right. He asks, what should I do? My answer is, do nothing. Don't do anything. Because when God makes, when God gets ready to tell you What he wants you to do, you're going to have the answer loud and clear. And if you don't have it, maybe it's not time for you to do anything. Somebody's always asking, how can I know the will of God? What can I do to find the will of God? You can do nothing. The will of God isn't lost. Listen to this carefully. It's not my responsibility to find the will of God for my life concerning anything. It is God's responsibility to reveal that will to me in everything. My responsibility is just to get to a position where I can hear Him. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose your child, you called in your child this week and you said to him, you said, now, son, I got something I want you to do. It's very important. It's very special. And I'm going to count on you to do it. If you don't do it, you're going to, you know, there'll be some consequences and some some price to pay. I want you to do it. Now, can I count on you to do it? He says, sure, I'll do it. What is it? And you say, I'm not going to tell you. It's a secret. Now, it's very important that you do it and if you don't, you're going to you know, regret, you're going to be sorry you didn't, but I'm not going to, it's, it's a secret. I've got it hidden away and you got to find out what it is. Now, what kind of parent would do that? It's the exact perspective we have of God. Is that God tells us, God says, now there is a plan from, for you. I have a will for you. And if you don't find that will, if you don't do that, You'll be miserable and unhappy for the rest of your life, but it's a secret and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Listen to me carefully. Whenever God wants you to do something, you're going to have peace and confidence as you do it. Right. Now come to the third word. It's really my sermon. The rest of this stuff has just been runway to kind of help me get off the ground here. So I'm coming here to the third. It's that W word that nobody likes. It's the word wait. Now, it is significant that that when the author of the book of Hebrews in the 10th chapter quotes Habakkuk's famous statement, the just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith, he quotes that statement in the context of patience. He puts that statement, the just shall live by faith, in the context of patience. It's exactly what Habakkuk does. And this is what he's saying. Now, watch this. He's saying that living by faith is a matter of waiting on God. It's a matter of being patient for God to act. What God is saying is, just give me a chance. Now, it's amazing how God never really gives us a whole lot of explanations. He just says, the righteous live by faith. He didn't say that the righteous live by their understanding of God. Nor did he say the righteous live by the explanations he gets or the miracles he sees. The righteous lives by his faith. And so Habakkuk was asking these questions. He had a problem with God. He was saying, you know, how long are we going to have to suffer? God said, the righteous live by faith. And Habakkuk says, how could you raise up the called ends to punish us? God answers, the righteous live by faith. And Habakkuk says, well now, aren't we ever going to be vindicated? And God answers, the righteous live by faith. For whatever question man has and whatever complaint he has, God's answer is, the righteous live by his faith. Two things I want to say and I'll close It's a little bit early to talk about the conclusion, but I want to say two things. The first is this, that the man who lives by faith is righteous. The man who lives by faith is righteous. Now, Habakkuk is not enunciating justification by faith. He's not doing that. But it's all right for us to do it because Paul did it. And when he comes to that book of Romans and he's trying to establish how a man is right with God, he quotes Habakkuk. Habakkuk was obviously saying more than he knew he was saying. For Paul picks up on this and establishes the profound theology of justification by faith. And it's this, that a man is righteous before God, not by his works, but by his faith. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His grace He has saved us, so that it is not my effort nor my works that make me right with God. It is my response in faith to God's work for me, so that grace makes salvation available and faith receives it. Now, the early church theologians, the Roman Catholics, came up with a doctrine that theologians call now the doctrine of infusion. Now watch this. And they battled over it in those councils in the first centuries. And these early church fathers said that what happens in salvation is that God pours His grace into your life in order to enable you to obtain righteousness. And the Reformers came along and said, no, that's not right. God doesn't pour His grace into us in infusion in order that we might obtain righteousness. God imparts His righteousness to us through our faith. And they developed the doctrine, the technical term of the doctrine of imputation. There is infusion and imputation. And the doctrine of imputation is is that God has already accomplished the deed of redemption and man receives it by faith. Now, there's some problems with that for sure. I've got a question for some of you theologians, you scholars today. How could it be? How do you reconcile this? How could it be that when when I have faith, it's because God gave it to me, And if I don't have faith, it's my fault. How could that be? How could it be? How do you reconcile that? That that if I have faith to believe, it's because God gave me faith. If I don't have faith, then I'm responsible for it. I don't understand that. But I know this, I know the Bible teaches that. And I know even the faith to believe and the faith to receive comes from Him. So that the righteous, those who live by faith are righteous. Second thing I want to say is that the righteous one lives by their faith. Habakkuk said, The righteous shall live. You could stop right there. That must have been good news for Habakkuk because he didn't know whether he's going to live or not. He knew whether he's going to make it or not. God's saying to Habakkuk, You will make it, you will survive. Some of us feel like we want, don't we? I got good news for you. You're going to make it. Now, I have, a, I have no shadow of a doubt this morning. I believe absolutely I have a firm conviction that I'm going to heaven. I don't have a doubt one about that. An evangelist comes and he asks everybody to bow their head and close their eyes and he gets ready to do a little, you know, arm twisting. He'll say, now everybody here who knows that if they were to die tonight, they'd go to heaven and lift their hand. I'm the first one to lift my hand. I have no doubt about that. And I can sing that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, you know, all that, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. I have no doubt that I'm going to heaven, but there is a verse in that song that bothers me. It's this one. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. (laughs) Now, I'm not worried about the fact that I'm going to heaven. I know I am, but I've got, I'm kind of worried about the fact that on the way there, there are dangers, toils, and snares. And sometimes I wonder if I'm going to make it. Don't you? I wonder if I'm going to survive. I heard this preacher not long ago, he, his son uh, killed himself, got on drugs and killed himself. IT WAS A YEAR BEFORE HE COULD EVEN PREACH. HE SAID, ONE NIGHT I WAS UP PREACHING. HE SAID, AFTER THE SERVICE, A LADY CAME BY WHERE I WAS AT THE DOOR, AND, and, and SHE SAID, PASTOR, THE PREACHER, SAID, YOU DON'T KNOW ME? He SAID, I JUST CAME NOT here HEAR YOU PREACH. SHE SAID, I, I WANT YOU TO KNOW HOW MUCH IT MEANT TO ME TO SEE YOU SMILE TONIGHT. HE SAID, OKAY, WELL, THANK YOU. YOU KNOW, he, SHE SAID, NO, I'M SERIOUS. I WANT YOU TO KNOW HOW MUCH IT MEANT TO ME THAT YOU SMILE UP THERE TONIGHT. She said, my daughter was killed a couple of months ago in a tragic automobile accident. And she said, I don't know whether I'll ever smile again or not. I don't know whether I can make it or not. But she said, when I sat there and I saw you smile, knowing what you've been through, it gave me hope that one day I'll smile again as well. Habakkuk saying, the just, Because they live by their faith, they're going to make it. They're going to smile again. It's what the psalmist was saying when he said, I will yet praise him. I can't praise him now. I'm too hurt. I'm too shattered. I'm too confused. I'm too bitter. I'm too angry. I can't praise him now, but I will yet praise him. There'll be one day I will. There'll be one day I can. It's like the preacher I heard about who went through a great time of sorrow. A man came to his office to kind of cheer him up. Must have been like one of Job's friends. He went in, he saw him kind of down, you know. He was hurting. And the, and the member said, oh, come on, pastor. Cheer up. You know, you know, the, you know Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good. Don't you believe that anymore? And the preacher said, of course I believe it. Just don't ask me to preach on it right now. I guess you could excuse him from that. And there are times when it seems like that we'll not live. We can't make it. We can't smile again. We'll never be happy. How do you you explain all that's happening? We're so confused, so hurt, so wounded, so shattered. Habakkuk said, you'll go on. You'll make it because you live by faith. Now, what is faith? I heard about the little boy started school, first grade, first day. He wanted to find out something he could impress his mother and daddy with, so he, he sought out some veteran, like a second grader, teach him something new. He, he learned two plus two equals four. So he came home, he said, guess what I learned at school today? His parents said, what? He stood there and he, he kind of reared back and put out his chest, and he said, two plus two equals four and his parents were beaming. They were just so proud. It it just confirmed what they had known all along. Their son was a genius. He's a genius. And, and he was up there, you know, and, and they were beaming. And, and while they were still beaming, he said, what's a two? <laughs> now, you, you and I, you know, we, we We throw out these terms like faith, you know, and every preacher gets up there and he says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, essentially it means this. Watch this. Faith essentially is just letting go. Now, the first man in the Bible who was ever said to have believed in God was a man named Abraham. He's called the father of faith. I want to brush three experiences, three crises in his life to illustrate what it means to have faith. And then we're out of here. The first crises came when God said to Abraham, get up and get out of this country to the land that I will show you. Leave father and mother and get out of here. And that country, that family, that land that he was, that he knew that he left represents everything secure, everything familiar. Now we're a mobile situation, uh, mobile mobile culture and society. I did a wedding yesterday in Oklahoma City. parents live in Phoenix, Arizona. Brother lives in Arkansas. Folks lived in Denison, Texas. And they were all there, all got there in time for the wedding because we're mobile. We move about, we keep in touch. But when God told Abraham, get up and leave, it was for good. And what he was doing was this. This is the way you have faith. You let go of everything familiar and everything secure. The second crisis came in the life of Abraham when God said to Abraham, you're going to bear me a son. Now that was good news except Abraham was about 100 years old. Sarah was about as old. And God said, you're going to bear me a son and this son out of his loins will come the nation. And so they got to thinking about that. In fact, they laughed. The word is that Abraham got out on the floor. I mean, he broke his sides laughing at that. And, and, and Sarah. And so they got to thinking about that and they thought, well, we'll help God out. And, and Sarah said, why don't you take Hagar, the handmaid, have a son by, him, by her. And he did. His name was Ishmael. I love this. I love it. One day Abraham got to thinking, I'll just, have, I'll just let God's promise come through Ishmael. And he comes to God and says this. Listen, he said, will not Ishmael live before thee? And God said, no, Ishmael's got to go. What Abraham was doing is this. Now, the rational thing, the reasonable thing now, God, for this way, for this thing to come about is for, for the promise to be accomplished through Ishmael. And God said, no, before Isaac can come, Ishmael has to go. And Ishmael represents all the rational and reasonable things to which we hold on to. It's a whole lot easier to rationalize than it is to faith. And the third great crisis came the day God told Abraham to take his son. He said, take your son, your only son. He had Ishmael. No, Ishmael didn't count. He said, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and you take him up to the mount and sacrifice him. His name was what? Isaac. Isaac. Now, Ishmael was Sarah and Abraham's plan, but Isaac was God's plan. And and God was was saying this in essence, Abraham, before I'll ever have you, I've got to have Isaac. And I don't think that God ever intended for Isaac to die. He never wanted Isaac to die. He wanted Abraham to die. And before he could ever get Abraham, he had to have Isaac. In other words, before we can really faith, live by faith, we have to let go of the dearest thing in life, even those things that are good we thought God gave us. One day I had to discover that there is a difference between surrendering to the ministry and surrendering to God. And I was never really a minister until I gave up my ministry. And I did it, and I resigned this big church, and I headed out to do mission work in the Northwest because I discovered that until you give even those things you think God has given you back to Him, they're never really yours. That's what it means to, to faith. It means letting go of every complaint, every doubt, every question, every rationale, every reasonable thing. It means letting go of all the dearest. It means on the backside of faith is clinging. It means you let go of those things to which you cling and you hold and you cherish and you covet and you worship. The search of certainty begins with facing up to the fact that I have a problem with God and it continues by watching, writing, and waiting. Let's pray. Father, now speak to our heart the invitation that you would have us to hear and let us know without a shadow of a doubt what you want us to do and give us courage and obedience now to respond. In Jesus' name. Look here. There are three kinds of invitations. An invitation this morning to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The work has been finished, the, the redemption has been accomplished, and Jesus died for your sin. But by faith, you have to receive that gift. His gift is not made available to those who achieve it, but those who receive it. His part is grace, our part is faith. An invitation this morning to come and join this church to place your life here. Or like this morning, a little child came just simply coming in the first service to trust Jesus as Savior. Maybe you want to come to join the church. Maybe you want to just come to say, I'm not living for God like I ought to. I want to make it right. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.